Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. It's going to be an upbeat and positive podcast this week because we have not only a victory from Tottenham Hotspur, but a fairly entertaining one to talk about. But before we get to that, we have just a teeny bit of podcast business to get to. Please follow our Twitter account at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes because we're good boys and uh, we deserve it. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, it's time to move on and introduce my very special co-host. Coming to us live from Atlanta, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, how excited are you for the Nuno era to begin in earnest? Oh boy, I can't wait. I'm mostly excited that you finally acknowledge that our Twitter feed is not a new Twitter feed. It is just an existing Twitter feed that we... You know, you're lucky I mentioned the Twitter feed at all, so I... (laughs) That's the real highlight for me. Well, you know, you have to be on the you have to be on our secret Patreon to hear about our TikTok account. So, it is what it is. And coming to us from South Florida, where he is laundering our secret Patreon donations, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how's our how's our TikTok doing? Uh, TikTok not great. Twitch streaming though, revenues way up. Um, so that's good. Everybody's really interested in watching me play football manager. So that's nice. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to talk about our five, one win over Mura, which is a team. That, uh, oh, is that the game you're excited to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. You said it was a big win. That's oh yeah. yeah. About, right? I think there's nothing to feel bad about in that game. Um, so yeah, well, Harry Kane scored a hat trick. I, I mean, he's Exa- back baby. Exactly. He what you want to say. back. Just to be clear to our listeners, there is no secret Patreon, or is there? But anyway, the game we're really here to talk about is our 2-1 win over Aston Villa, coached by North Carolina Tar Heels legend Dean Smith. It was, uh, I think this was, Ben, you've been, you've been the most negative about Spurs this year, but I, I think this was a fairly comfortable, fairly comprehensive win, wasn't it? Yeah. Not that there aren't issues, <laughs> but like. It's hard to find anything really wrong with this game. I mean, maybe in a macro sense, but certainly within the 90 minutes, I thought Spurs played well. I thought it was fairly entertaining, and, you know, it, it was it was nice to see, especially heading into an international break. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if we take a narrative look at the season, we had those first three games where we played very effective defense for the most part, but struggled to really put together a good attacking play. Um, we were kind of boring, but we were pretty safe. And then, you know, we tried to play real football against Chelsea and Wolves in a cup. And, you know, that was kind of a, a, a false dawn of maybe a new attacking version of this team. And then, you know, Arsenal happened and we just like went to shit. And so I think this game really felt like, a, all right, let's go back to the drawing board of that skip Hoiberg midfield that was very effective at protecting the back four and making us a little safer defensively. But let's try to marry that with a little more pizzazz. Um, And it wasn't perfect, but, you know, I think this is the most well-rounded we've seen this team play. Um, 
And that seems like a nice step in the right direction. But I think I think what I found as a real positive about this game is, you know, I think it was early in matches. I mean, we've watched very, very good Spurs teams have like an ugly 10 minutes to start a match. But once we got past the sort of early stages of the match, I thought Spurs largely controlled this game. Frankly, I thought we were completely in control in the second half and their goal was a complete fluke. Uh, I mean, everybody switched off, but it wasn't like they were cutting us open and figured out how to play through our, you know, team. Villa was not creating good shots. Uh, I mean, I just thought, and, and our attack was functional and entertaining and creating chances. And I, I mean, I think Son in particular was driving a lot of the attack. I was just very impressed with how we played compared. I mean, obviously it's a low bar after the last couple of weeks, but you know, it's, I don't know if I want this long-term, but if this is what we're going to get for most of the season, I can live with it. Uh, you know, I'd still like a better manager next year. We don't need to get into the, who's our next manager talk again this week yeah i mean look if what you're telling me i'm gonna get out of out of this season is we're gonna play some safe football with two holding midfielders then yeah at least give me somebody in the 10 or the more attacking midfield position that can do some stuff like not, nothing against delhi because i thought delhi played really well at the beginning of the season but he's not a creative passer he's not a dribbler it's going to break the lines, carry the ball forward. That's just not the type of player he is. And so playing, theoretically, Tongi and Dombele in that position um, should make us better. Uh, I think he was maybe not great in this game, or at least largely anonymous. Um, but I think that as a as a concept for how this team should play is is kind of the right way to do it. I guess... My only concern about this is, was the problem with Tongi being further up the pitch, was the problem that Skip and Hoybier just aren't equipped to get him the ball? Or was it, you know, all right, hey, we're kind of trying this out. We The fullbacks haven't figured out how to make that pass into the 10 space, or or Tongi hasn't figured out the, the movement that he needs to make in that space. Um I don't know. There's still some kinks to work out, but if this is what Nuno wants, safe but effective, this is probably the way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, I think as much as I don't want a Skip Hoybjerg midfield to be our future, I think we have two guys in Los Celso and Ndombele who are good central midfielders, but if we can't figure out a way to make that work and not ship a bunch of goals, then let's start with some baby steps play like the the protect midfield and figure out how to get the attack coming in front of it well, um i think, I think we saw, did... you might have seen loselso's future in this game it was the last 15 minutes i don't want to say villa were completely out of it you know i think the game was coasting a little bit at that point but loselso at the 10 i thought was i mean i i was very impressed and I, honestly my takeaway is why haven't we seen more of this before yeah and i think part of it is you know <clears throat> son and kane had both of their probably best games of the season, maybe Man City for Sun, but, you know, we haven't seen Sonny really take over a game in so many phases of play as he did this week. You know, he was driving the ball forward. He was mixing it up in the box. He was, you know, taking shots. He was creating for other people. Um, and Harry Kane, who has been largely invisible this season, you know, had six chances himself, you know, was creating for other people and, they looked much more like 
you know, the two guys who carried us for most of last season. Um, and it's just about fine tuning around that, I think, at this point. You know, and it may not be like a great team, but it's probably going to be the best version of a Nuno team. Um, it's going to depend a lot on them. Yeah, but, I, I just I think my thing is, is, you know, Tongi is is not a number 10. I think Lasoso is at least uh, you can say that he's a number 10. He's, he's played in that position for for other teams in the past. I just I, I think we're more effective when you get those guys on the ball deeper in midfield. And, and I just don't know how we're going to make getting the ball to them work. I, mean, I certainly agree with that about. In Dombele, I'm not in enti- like I think that's a fair position on Lacelso, but I'm not sure it's entirely correct, or it, it might not it might not turn out to be because I think I mean we, we've talked about it. we've had questions on this podcast we've talked about it amongst ourselves like you know Lacelso has been used in a lot of different positions since he got to Spurs, and that's partly because he's a very versatile player, and that's a good thing in some ways, but I think there is an element where we kind of need to. Find a play, find a role for him, regardless of where that is on the pitch, and stick with it a little bit, or at least somewhat. I mean, it's yeah. interesting because, oh, sorry to cut, it was, no, but like, it's interesting because, like, what this system really needs is like Christian Eriksen, you know, a, a player who is comfortable playing in the ten space and is able to, you know, be there and knows the positioning and and how to find the little pockets of space while also striking the balance of dropping deep and, and getting involved in defensive play. And I don't think either Lo Celso or Ndombele are there right now. That's not to say that they can't be there in, you know, a month, two months, whatever. Um, but yeah, like it would be great if we had Erickson around, he would, he would knit this system together and it would work just fine. Well, the good thing is Lo Celso is going to get a long interrupted stretch of games in this team that definitely won't be, you know, disrupted by the international calendar. No, and it's really unfortunate is, you know, after that Arsenal match, um, we brought Christian Romero and Emerson Royale back into the team after being mysteriously excluded for the Derby. And, you know, they made a tremendous difference. Um, Just both of them defensively were very strong, in possession were very strong. And, you know, when we were playing that really safe midfield too, it helps to have guys in the back who can help move the ball forward. Um, and, you know, they did that really well. If, if you look at how our passing happened, it was mostly in a kind of little square between Skip and Hoybjerg in midfield, Lucas, who kind of dropped into another midfield spot on the right side of midfield like he's been doing um, for the last few games, and then Royal Royale and, and Romero. Like, they were kind of all moving the ball between them before we'd finally break out. Um, and you know, losing those guys after the international break is going to kind of set us back to square one. You know, are we going to be able to play this kind of safe midfield in front of a back line of Eric Dyer and Joe Roden and Jaffa Tanganga? And I'm not really confident that that's going to work. And so, you know, so much of what we're doing well right now or did well against Aston Villa is very player dependent and, we don't seem to have, you know, the depth um, in personnel to really cover for their absences, or we haven't seen it yet. Well, did Emerson get called up? I don't know. Brazilian? I just assume he's Brazilian. 
I don't think. I mean, I'm not. I, I have no idea, but I didn't think I saw him on the list of the guys that well, we great. were. Well, great. Well, that's one thing we don't have to worry about. Did Lucas yeah. get called up? I don't know. I, I haven't prepared. No, I don't. I think. I think it was just Davinson, Romero, Lacelso, and there's a fourth one. Golini. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, maybe 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 Emerson did get called up. I've, obviously, we all are very prepared for this. Either way, the point is, is those guys have made a big difference, particularly after after the Arsenal match, and it was nice to see what they bring to the table. Um, you know, Real think, did get called up. It looks like. Aha. See ben how was correct you as usual. Me, Brian. <laughs> Um, I I was really impressed with Emerson. With, with, well, with Royale, I guess. Um, I, I thought I was a little perplexed as to maybe it's just because I've seen a lot more of him, but I was kind of perplexed that Spurs fans were so down on him. I understand that Darby wasn't his best match, but like I feel like before this game, oh, or, sorry, he wasn't in the right. Sorry, um, but before this game, a lot of his issues I think were very clearly down to sort of teething issues, for lack of a better term you know, adjusting the team, adjusting the country. Like, I mean, I think you saw in this game what he's capable of. He's really just, I think he's a really good right back. And I, I mean, I think Tomiyasu's fine. I'm not kicking. I don't understand why Spurs fans were kicking themselves that we got one and not the other. I mean, Tomiyasu looked very good in the Arsenal match and Tanganga did not. <laughs> and so I was definitely kicking myself. You know, the, I think there was an idea that we would loan Tanganga somewhere to get him some minutes and then buy two right backs. And that would have been nice. But between the two of them, yeah, I'm not especially bothered about missing out on Tomiyasu to get Royale. I think he looked very competent um, in, a, in a lot of ways. Not really as fast as you'd like. He's uh, certainly not a he's Kyle so Walker. He's so slow, guys. He's <laughs> so, he had that one breakaway where he was dribbling up the field and I think like seven Villa players caught him from behind. Like... I think I tweeted that it was, it was very, you know, veteran Corluca-esque, like just kind of hobbling down the sideline on his wooden legs. We all love Corluca. Come on. What's wrong? I do. I, I Charlie's the best. <laughs> I love him a lot. Um, but it's just like, I was, you know, that's just not, I guess, what I was expecting from like a, you know, a, a Brazilian attacking fullback from La Liga. He's not, he's not Danny Alves. What's going on? Yeah, like that's what I thought we were getting or Danilo or, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's, I was just like, Oh wow. He is not quick. Yeah. I guess the good thing is that he does seem to know how to win a foul. So even if he isn't like burning down the pitch, you know, he can at least advance the ball and win us a free kick a little further forward. Uh, so yeah, that'd be the one knock on him. And, uh, you know, especially when we have Lucas kind of dropping into that midfield role as he's been doing, it'd be nice to have a little more width on that side, but I'm not going to complain too much. It's such an upgrade over what we've seen this season and, and Matt Doherty that, um, he stays wide. He provides width. He's not underlapping or coming inside. He's just not like he's. He's not Serge Aurier in in the level of athleticism or speed or pace. He's not getting to the byline and crossing. But I think when we're playing kind of against a bunker defense, 
you know, I, I thought some of the play that he had against Villa where he was, you know, high up the pitch and, and holding his position on the sideline and then, you know, moving down towards the byline and getting the ball. I thought some of that was good. He had some good plays in there, had a couple of nice passes to find people on cutbacks. Um, he had a cross that I think it was to Sun um, that went, you know, to the far post that uh, could have, you know, with a better finish would have been a nice goal. So, like... He does some nice stuff in the attacking third. It's just he's not the one carrying the ball to get you there. Yeah. Which, again, it's fine. It's like there's enough of a skill set there that does enough of really good things that, like, he can work with that. Like, well, he it's, can make it's a, like a team function. If his only pr- serious flaw, and it's not his only flaw, but, like, if the big problem with him is he can't get on his horse and go track someone down and he's – competent on the ball and good in attack and you know like god that's such an improvement over someone like doherty who just does nothing or even tanganga who's like i think has some skills but is clearly suspect in terms of you know his decision making at this point i mean we've we dealt with fullbacks like that before with kieran trippier like uh trippier not particularly quick wasn't great you know wasn't gonna beat guys going forward or back but his passing and his crossing you know, made him a worthwhile inclusion in the team. And so, you know, I I think that Emerson is, or Royale is more balanced than Trippier. I think he's certainly more athletic than him. He's a, he's a bigger guy. He's more physical. Um, but, you know, I think he we have to figure out what his attacking contribution or, or build-up contribution can be other than he gets fouled. He seems like he can pick a pass infield uh, from – right wing. I don't think he's as good a passer as Trippier was. Um, but, you know, if we can take him and have him roll the ball in defeat for Tanganga or, you know, Kane or Son checking back, like, uh, that can be a, a method of build-up that we can use. When, I mean, uh, I'm um, <laughs> who, did I, who did I mean? What's that, Tongi? Tongi, yeah, that's what I meant. Yep, that's what I meant. yeah, yeah. Well, imagine what Jose Mourinho would have done with such a tall player in defense. Like, just just the mind boggles. Yeah. We got a tall fullback, and we got rid of the coach that wants him. So, Ben, you mentioned this earlier, that Son was driving attack. I, I, it sure feels like he's the face of Spurs these days, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Harry Kane is persona non grata at this point for a lot of people. And, you know, again, has not done much of anything you know he had his hat trick in the european conference league um i think he has scored a couple other goals in in that competition but you know has yet to open his account in the premier league he has been largely invisible in a lot of games but and you know until harry kane becomes the harry kane that we remember i think people are still not going to uh warm up to him the way we used to um and you know Sonny, I think, did himself a ton of credit, both off the pitch by signing a new deal and just always carrying himself like he loves it here. And, you know, with performances like this, I think, yes, he is our he's our franchise player. If you want to keep making stupid cross-sports analogies, Greg. Well, he is, uh, he is bringing in, uh, you know, massive K-pop stars into the Tottenham fold. So, you know, it's really, what can't he do, you know? I still don't understand K-pop. I don't know who BTS is. Well, see, it's pop music from Korea, Brian. And once you start there, it's kind of simple, so. 
Yeah, I just as a genre of music, it's so far outside of my like Grimes. I don't understand who Grimes is. I know she's a musician. Apparently a communist, right, Ben? <laughs> no, definitely not a communist. <laughs> <laughs> but she was caught wearing a still suit uh, on the street reading the Communist Manifesto to figure out how to undermine the Fremen, I guess. <laughs> you know, for for a, a novel full of sloppy political metaphors, like that's pretty far up there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to derail the show. I don't know. No, no, no. That's what we're all I here for. Uh, among other things that I don't understand, the internet's music, most dangerous movies, grime television. The internet's most dangerous Grimes podcast. We look to It's just funny that your two examples of music you don't understand are Korean pop music and this one particular weirdo who happened to with elon musk for a while she was was in the news recently i felt like it was topical like i mean i don't know i could have said the national like that will happen would have anybody cared about that i've been like i don't understand sad boy music i'm sorry you know they were probably referenced that whole pitchfork reevaluation thing so i think that would have been totally fair right ben i feel like you reevaluate bands much like pitchfork don't you oh yeah i'm always revisiting my previously held opinions to make sure they're cool enough as we move with the times. I mean, that's exactly what you do with Tottenham Hotspur. So. That's right. <laughs> I mean, revise the opinions downward, though. Never upward. Well, no, no, no. If it's Mauricio Pochettino who left us, then, you know, you've got you to... If that was a mistake, so you've got to revise it upward. In Ben's I case, always read Pochettino a 10. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Please don't listen to old podcasts where I complained about him. <laughs> I always find it extremely funny when we're complaining about uh, Mourinho or Nuno's ability to use subs. And it always has the, the, the din of a conversation where this is the first time we've encountered a manager who doesn't know how to use substitutions. Where, in fact, we were an excellent team for like five years who did not know how to use substitutions. I long and for this... the days of Harry Redknapp and his amazing <laughs> substitutions and excellent tactical instructions. Yeah, that's, Harry Redknapp's t- substitutions are definitely... Is there any manager who has ever been good at substitutions? Because I feel like the answer is no. Harry Redknapp. Oh, yes. <laughs> Scott Parker in the 88th minute when we're chasing a game against Villa. That's that's right. a great substitution. Look, he wasn't batting a thousand, but Harry Redknapp had like the kind of like Trumpian base cunning when it came to football. <laughs> like not a smart guy, but like kind of savvy about like knows what works. And like he couldn't like give you a lecture on like football tactics, but he had like the kind of yeah, it's that cunning to like watch a game and be like, what we need here is Palachenko fucking run around a bit and it will work and like you might know why that's a thing that needs to happen but like he's not wrong that that would have changed the game for the better he was always good at shit like that yeah i mean his subs were always you know another striker whether it was a sub a replacement striker or an additional striker or nico cranchar and they (laughs) seem to invariably work out as time went on the the or and the first option the became less and less prominent and it was just always nico cranchar <laughs> and then like, di- so, and as nico cranchar kind of aged out of that he became a less and less effective manager and then he went to uh <laughs> qpr where he played him there instead look i'll just in defense of harry any manager casting an eye over the bench seeing him like toss his hair back and give you a little wink you're gonna put in nico cranchar like nobody else looks as like capable of changing the game sitting there as Nico Cranchard. 
I mean, you're saying you're saying you're not filled with confidence, staring into staring deeply into Roman Pavlyuchenko's eyes. (laughs) No, you don't look. You don't look into those deep blue pools and think this is a man who's going to change this game. He's going to score me a goal. Well, sometimes you need that, like, that Russian madness lurking beneath the surface. Yeah, if you're an NFL coach and you need <laughs> someone to kick a field goal 60 yards down the field, sure, but... So, and that's why Aston Villa was a good performance. Exactly. <laughs> so, is it, is it, because they had a lot of guys out, is this a performance we should feel good about as Spurs fans, or did we just catch Villa on a bad day at the office? I don't think these are mutually exclusive. I don't think it's necessarily a binary choice, but... So, Villa have been in decent form um going into this match they drew chelsea they beat everton um i guess that no that chelsea game was in the cup they beat man u that's who it was um and beat everton you know they have had some good results lately and they haven't had a fully fit team leon bailey has been mostly injured since he's gotten here buendia has had has been in and out of the team for various reasons um you know, I think there is a better version of this Aston Villa side, but the team we played was a team that got a decent result the week before that wasn't wholly unearned um, against Man U. So I think we should feel good about it. I think, you know, like we said before, there are question marks about how, how well we can replicate it and there are holes in what we did, but it's a, it's a good first step towards a, a version of this team that, isn't totally awful to watch. I mean, it, it felt like a foundation in a way that I'm not sure the games earlier in the year felt like, you know, even when we were doing well, like those felt like something we were kind of cobbling together with our squad issues and, you know, the kind of messed up summer that we had, you know, just sort of like, let's get something functional out there. Uh, yeah, this felt like a blueprint for how we would like to play going forward in a way that, you know, I'm not sure I'd be wholly unhappy with um, for the rest well, of the I think, season. I think you're absolutely right. It's because this feels different because it has more of the players that we, as a fan base at large, accept are the good players. You know, like we have just, you know, Lacelso and Dombele, Romero, Emerson, like we're like, these are the good players. These are the guys that should be playing. We didn't have those guys those first three games, um, you know, or they didn't play anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I think if you're if you're looking at it, you know, you can squint and see like this is this is a decent blueprint. This is a way that we can be, you know, marginally successful uh, this year. I, you'd like to see us succeed in playing that way against a team slightly better than Villa. Um, well, I Villa's think... also, even in their diminished state, Villa's not, I mean, we didn't just beat Fulham or something, you know, like. Sure. But I mean, right. I, I guess, you know, we've got a West Ham game coming up um, after the international break. And as much as I hate to think about, you know, West Ham being actually good now, um, they kind of are. Uh, and so, you know, playing against them will be, if we play in the same way, that I think will be a better test than, uh, than the Newcastle match or Vitesse. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, Aston Villa, uh, the table, you know, lies, but Villa were ahead of us in the table um, until this game, and we and we leapfrogged them and West Ham um, this weekend. You know, And Arsenal. <laughs> right. I mean, we're eighth, West Ham are ninth, Villa are tenth, Arsenal are eleventh. You know, so it's like 
yes, there's probably quality differences between them and like the results that they've had don't tell the whole story. But like Aston Villa are a decent mid-table side. They're not relegation fodder. This isn't like, you know, they're a better team than Crystal Palace who beat the shit out of us just a few weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I think I think we can definitely take positives from that result. And yeah, the more better teams we beat, the better we'll all feel. Sure. We, all, I don't know. all I mean is like, you know, if we still are trying to bank on, you know, a top six finish, we're going to have to play better than this. Well, Nuno's definitely banking on a top six finish because he's not going to get money if he doesn't. Uh, but this is like, I think as a counterpoint, like, you know, that game we had in the Europa Conference League with what, what was their name, Brian? FC, like, tractor salesman or something? FC Lucas Mora. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you know, that was not... Disrespectful, I'm sure, to them. I'm very sorry. That was not a game I felt great about. And, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to read too much into these games because they're against weird teams with, you know, probably very little motivation on either side. You know, we did look reasonably comfortable, but we didn't look uncomfortable in the way that you would like... You know, we weren't beating the brakes off of them in the way you would like to see us beat the brakes off of a team at that level. We had to bring Harry Kane on to really seal the deal in the last, like, 20 minutes. And And son. And son. I mean, it's not a game you feel great about. You know, like, it's one thing if you do that against Ren or something, but, like, this is, you know, this is the level of team that really should be in the Conference League, not us. And we played Matt Doherty, Dane Scarlett, a midfield of Skip and Winks. Even still, like, like come on. Even still, like we should be beating teams like this more comfortably. I mean, I mean we of... were we were winning. It was two to one um, when we brought on like Kane and Son. We didn't need to bring on Kane and Son. Like no, we Nuno made needed that... to bring on Kane and Son because if we had lost that game. After losing the Derby, Nuno's job probably would have been uh, under a microscope. No, it, it would have been in real danger, not Ben wants to fire in danger. Right, and that should be the same thing, but I'll yeah. pick that okay. up with Daniel right. in our weekly chats some other time. Um, but I think it kind of goes to you know, some of the issues we've been talking about is so much of what's working is very player-dependent. Um, you know, We still don't have like a real system where everybody kind of knows their role with a lot of depth that we can just plug in a guy and like trust it's going to carry on. It's like, this is kind of muddling through because certain players are playing really well, not because Nuno has us playing really well and it's elevating the players, you know, it's, it's yeah. So it's very difficult, but it's also about, and that's where I'm curious to see what we get out of this. It's about, a recognizable system, which has not always been, I think this goes to somewhat Brian's saying, we've always had issues like this. Maybe not as extreme, but we've always had issues like this, at least in the, when we play in the Europa League. Like, we're playing the B squad. It's usually a hodgepodge of, like, starters and, like, backups. It's never as coherent or as com- comprehensive as you would like, unless we're playing a really sort of weak sister team. I mean, we always have these issues to some extent. It's just... You know, the Conference League is at such a level that I'd like to see more comprehensive results, at least without having to use, you know, like, all these guys. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily expect us to be beating teams like 5-2 to two or whatever, but, you know, sort of comfortably beating their ass where you don't have to – you can let Kane and Son get rest. I mean, look, I like that we started Dane Scarlett. Uh, you know, I, I like that Brian Heal got to play. 
I like that Roden got to play. I I don't particularly care about Galini playing, but like like there's some useful things about um, the conference league, and you know, it, it, if all it does is is help develop like Scarlet or um, you know some of our other young players, then that it's it's worthwhile. But I don't know. I just it it's frustrating because it kind of does display our our lack of quality depth. In that, you know, you get beyond Kane and Sun, and then you're left with Heal and Scarlet. And, you know, like, this is a game where Carlos Vinicius would have been great. Um, not saying that we should have signed Carlos Vinicius again, but I'm just saying, like, this is this is exactly the kind of game, like, he is a Europa League striker. And he absolutely would have wrecked this Murrah team. And, I, I don't know, I, I, that's nothing against Scarlet, like, he's... He's a literal child. I mean, I think, honestly, if we use the Conference League to give Dane Scarlett 60 minutes a week and Harry Kane has to play an extra 30 sometimes, I can live with that because I think that's good for Dane Scarlett. And if it's good for Dane Scarlett, it's probably good for the long-term future, you know, of his prospects of the club and, and for the club. If we can replace Harry Kane with a homegrown striker, that would be great. Um you know, it is concerning when Harry Kane inevitably gets injured. Dane Scarlett is not the guy <laughs> to step into his shoes. And this is, um, to, to be fair so to Nuno. Hoping he gets here? I don't, I don't know. To be fair to Nuno, this was, I thought, Scarlett's best game and that he looked, I thought he looked more comfortable out there. I mean, I think there's, like you said, Ryan, he's a child. There's, there's time, there's, there's ways to go for him, but he did look more comfortable out there than he's looked or at other games in the season. And I don't know if that's the quality of opponent or that he's more used to playing with these guys or what, but I thought he did look, it felt more coherent with him out there, even if it still felt like a bit of a slog sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like he didn't do a lot. He had no shots, no, no key passes. He had eight passes total. Um, wasn't going on like tons of like mazy dribbles or anything. Wasn't finding himself in good spots to take shots a lot like he was he was there and it's good for his development and you hope it turns into more but you know i don't think we've seen anything from dane scarlet that suggests we need to rely on him in the league there's anything there no dane scarlet is hopefully someone for the future and we are hopefully getting him valuable minutes he wouldn't be getting anywhere else this season I think the big positive from the Conference League so far besides that is it's giving Nuno the opportunity to see Lo Celso have a really good game or Brian Heal have a really good game and then think, okay, maybe maybe these guys can patch some holes in the first team. And well, Heal's the guy I just want. I mean, Lucas in particular is the minutes I think that we should be taking. I just, I just want to see Heal start getting first team. Not every game, I get it. He's a young player. It's a new league. But his natural position is sort of where Sun plays. But... I just want to see him starting to get minutes in first-team matches in the league because he just looks so good whenever we do get time with him. That, and he brings in so much creativity, which I think is sorely lacking from a lot of our team. So I think if I can wish cast my formation with you know Nuno's proclivities in mind, um, you know we start with the first question mark is who's going to partner Romero at the back. Um, We've seen Eric Dyer. I, I don't think Dyer has been particularly strong. I would like to give Joe Roden a shot. Um, Dyer keeps having 
mental lapses that lead directly to goals, which isn't maybe necessarily a fair way to judge him, but the last few games, it's, I mean, it's not like a systematic problem. I mean, you just, you can see him switching off on some of these goals. Right. And, you know, I think his positioning was bad for the goal against Villa. I think, I mean, I think Skip, Hoybier, Royale, Romero, Dyer, kind of all of them had, had fuck ups en route to that, you know, so I'm not going to lay all of the blame yeah, on Eric Dyer's feet by any means, but you know, I think he is definitely the weakest member of that back line who has at least two guys who are credible replacements who you could say, let's see what they could do. Um, and Roden is the guy who, you know, you want to dream on. We've seen the least of him, but he's looked promising when he's played. Um, and I think, I, I think deserves a shot. What's going um, on with Rodon? Cause like, it's like there's two managers in a row now. I guess three if you want to count Mason. You just seem to like not use him, and there's like a little bit of health stuff around the fringes that might explain it. But it's not like he's had debilitating injuries. It's just it's very like he doesn't look like a world beater when we play him, but he looks good enough that you're wondering why he isn't playing more, considering the state of our other center backs. And he, just Nuno's the third manager in a row if you want to count Mason, who just doesn't seem to want to use him. Yeah, and I think that's odd. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think it's probably telling you something. I don't know what, but it's something. Yeah. Um, you know, so then I think the fullbacks kind of pick themselves. I think Royale and Regulon are both necessary um, at this point. I thought Regulon had one of his better games um, in recent memory against Aston Villa. He is still not really shown us all that he's capable of, but I think he's showing us more. I mean, he was a good outlet down the wing. He combined well with Sonny. Um, You know, he still feels like someone who's going to figure it out to me. I understand the criticisms of him sort of late last year into this season, but I mean, he was so good at Sevilla. We've seen him be really good at Spurs. He just feels like someone who's going to put it together eventually. Maybe not be as good as we all thought he was going to be, but I mean, right. I don't know. You know, I mean, we're not playing Ben Davis there. So like, (laughs) let's let him cook and see, see what happens. Um, you know, and then I, I think I, we, well, I think we accept that Skip Hoiberg is the midfield that Nuno feels comfortable with, that they can keep everything safe. And, you know, and then Kane and Son up top are kind of a given. So once again, we have these, these two holes to fill out the midfield. Um, in my opinion, I don't think Tangi and Dombele is a number 10. I don't think especially with that midfield behind him. He is able to get on the ball through the middle um, where he likes to influence games. You know, we didn't really find him in buildup there. He wasn't really good at finding himself in buildup um, and just doesn't seem to really have like the instincts to play as a number 10, you know, to find those types of passes to make those types of runs to get on the ball and combine. Um, But Lo Celso, I think has got to be the guy for that position. You know, I think when he came on against Villa, he looked very good, you know, game state, all, you know, yes, being part of it, but we bought him. If we bought anybody to be an Erickson replacement, it was him. And I think unless Nuno is going to trust him deeper in midfield, that's the spot that I think makes the most sense for him. He seems to have an instinct for, you know, finding space, linking up with his teammates and moving the ball around uh, from that spot. So my – Brian, go ahead. 
I was just gonna. If you're done, I was gonna talk about how frustrating I find the the idea of the skips the skip Hoybeard midfield. But you there can continue talking about to, your front three if you want. I mean, there really should be a way to swap one of them out for Indombole, but like I understand, I, like you've got to acknowledge Tongue. He's got real defensive issues. So here's where I'm gonna go full Nabil Bentaleb, which is what this has all been oh, leading up to. God. So. <laughs> take a take a deep breath, Ben. Get get say it with right, your We chest. have seen we have seen how much Nuno depends on his wide players to progress the ball. And largely that has meant Lucas Mora being the guy who runs with the ball on that right sided spot. You know, we don't really have anybody else who's a natural fit. So it's always going to be plugging somebody else into an unfamiliar role to try and get Lucas off the pitch and try to find somebody who's better than Lucas. The answer, dear friends, is Tongi and Dombele. Um, you know, I was talking about this with a friend of the pod, Joel, at Wartweil on Twitter. Um, you know, we saw Ndombele playing in a kind of right-wing back, right-winger role in training sessions in preseason and had a what the fuck why does Nuno just see this guy know how to dribble and naturally assume he's a winger but he does dribble the ball and that is key to how he wants to move uh, us into the final third we've seen the way Lucas is dropping from that right wing spot into a really a third midfield role that seems like where you want to put Tangi. I think that's the answer is you get a midfield all four of Skip, Hoybier, Glacelson, and Domblay on the pitch with Kane and Son as your goal getters. I think that's the answer within Nuno's Nuno's version of Spurs that makes everything work. And that's what I'm going to hang my hat on. I mean, I I I can certainly see that working uh, or, or a world in which that works. I think Tongi likes to work the left side a little bit more. I think he tends to pop up there a little more often. I don't know if that's a footedness issue or that's just kind of where he is when he plays in midfield. Um, but I can, I, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't work. Um, you get him more space to function in. It's not as crowded as in the midfield. Um, you know, you get him, he, he can track back. He can, uh, he's not, he's not just tasked with being kind of, trying to find pockets of space and, you know, being around and near the back line. I, I don't hate that idea. I think that's actually, I think that's, that's very good, Ben. I think it's great. Oh, this is a terrible idea. I take it all back. Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> You're both repulsive human beings. You know, I mean, like, yes, I'd like to see what Brian can do there. I'd like to see Bergvine get a run in the team where he's not injured, but Tungy and is really good. <laughs> and I think, I would do anything to find a way to fit him into this team because at his best, I don't think either of those guys are better than him. Uh, I, I think he's the the player, like the non-Hungman Sun player that I most enjoy watch playing or enjoy to watch play. Like he, he just does things uh, that either shouldn't be possible or don't seem possible in the way that he's attempting to do them. And like uh, he, he's I, I would love us to find a way to effectively use him. And if you know we're not going to buy or sign like a real defensive midfielder that allows us to play 
Ndombele in midfield in a role that he's most comfortable in or, or better central defenders or whatever the thing you need to do to allow him to function in midfield is, then yeah, let's find some place else where he can afford, have some tactical freedom and we can just let him cook. I, I, well, the, I would love to see that. The perplexing thing is Mourinho used him like that for a while. I mean, there was large portions of last season that he was a very effective central midfielder. And I don't remember, I mean, defensive lapses have always been an issue for him. And I don't remember it being as bad as it's been this year. Now, I don't know if that's down to Nuno's system. I don't know if that's down to, like, he doesn't give a shit. I don't know if it's down to fitness. But, like, the way it's been a problem this year in terms of, like, these turnovers are leading directly to goals is seems, if not new, worse than it used to seem. And I'm not, I don't really have a great answer for what, what that is, but it's making it hard to use him in the way that I think we would all like him to be used because he does excellent things and has positively impacted our play. But, you know, I don't think Nuno's, and again, it might be down to Nuno's system, but, like, a manager is not entirely incorrect of, like, well, he does incredible things, but he's also going to get his pocket picked and directly lead to a goal once every three games. Like, that. I mean, that's a that's a difficult player to put out there, and it becomes a bit of a puzzle. It's just I don't think this is something we – this feels like something we should be able to solve without – making him a fullback. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think you're right that like in recent games, he's kind of taken off the table as much as he's put on it and being responsible for goals. And, you know, I think th- those, those two defensive midfielders playing with him gives him a little more leeway to fuck up. Um, and having defensive players like Romero and Royale behind him also makes you feel a little safer that if he does fuck up, there's good guys back there to clean it up. Um, but I think right now, you know, the freest guy on the pitch in Nuno's system is Lucas Mora. He has been the real linchpin of like how we do things. And, you know, I think he's done a pretty good job of it, but as good as Lucas Mora can be, it's still, it's still Lucas. Like that's the ceiling is he's just going to be a good, do a good version of what we know Lucas gives you. And that's not a lot. And so for him to be the guy tasked with, a really loose role to be able to move, you know, from the right wing into the center, dribble where he wants to, you know, kind of run around at his leisure. I, I think that's a role that really feels like a Tongi and Dombley role. Like you want him to have the autonomy and the freedom to sort of do what he wants and have the system protect him where, when that goes wrong. And it seems like we're pretty much the way there. We just have to like try him out. In that position. I mean, I think if there's anything comforting about Nuno right now, other than we just played a good match, which we should give him credit for, it's he seems to be experimenting with the team for good or for ill, but it seems like he's experimenting with the team, and it seems like he's very much trying to get Indomale to work. I mean, there has been some moving him around and trying to find like the best fit, and he hasn't found it yet, and I feel like it should be easier than this. But like credit to Nuno, he's doing it. I mean, maybe he should have done it earlier in the year, but that's transfer drama that we probably don't know all the, all the story of. So, Right. I mean, I think you see him being moved out of central midfield to that 10 spot was definitely a recognition of what he can give you and that he should be on the pitch because of all of those things, but putting him in a place where his fallibilities aren't going to hurt the team as much. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter like, if you turn the ball over, if you're for, if you're in their defensive third, <laughs> like, right. And so I think that's almost there. It's just the other guy who's a little deeper and has a little more space on the right and not 
in that crowded tent area where Sun likes to cut through, where Kane likes to drop into, you know, and where Skip and Hoybier have a hard time making the pass to. Um, well, it's funny because giving him a little more space is, is the answer for him. Because I, I think, and this, this is a little reductive, but I think putting LaCelso in that area where he has to make quicker decisions. Like, I think, I think switching those guys – you make a good point, actually, because I think switching those guys from, you know, taking LaCelso off the right and putting him at the 10, I think that helps him in ways that, you know, I don't think being on the right always get, does him, you know, justice or, or get, brings out the best in him, let's say. And, you know, conversely, if you made the switch, it might benefit both guys um, by playing to their strengths. I don't know. You're still monsters. Yes, sink into my madness. You're still monsters. I do think, I think the biggest impact of this Villa game is I think we're going to start. I'd be very shocked if we don't see more of Lo at the 10. Um, I was very impressed with what we saw there, and I think it's such a natural fit that, like, I mean, I always saw him as very much the heir to Erickson when we bought him, much more so than Ndombele. So, like, I, I've always been a little perplexed we haven't used him more there, um, even if I understand why that's been the case. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I just mean, I, I think the problem with relying on Los Celso to play that position is what we've already talked about with the international break. Like, we've got, you know, this break coming up, and then there's another one in November. Jesus and, Christ. And, you know, like, so having him in there consistently is going to be a problem. Um, I genuinely don't understand what the Argentinian national team, for for a national team that is almost assuredly going to cruise the qualification. I mean, maybe they won't finish ahead of Brazil. But, like, if I was the coach of the Argentinian national team, I would want Lo Celso and Romero cementing themselves with their club team. And You know, maybe I'd still call them up, but I'd want them, okay, you guys don't play the last qualifier. Like, get back to your club team because I want you, like, starting at Tottenham. I don't think national team coaches care about that stuff. I'd want Lo Celso getting settled at Spurs. Like, if I were him under a new manager, I mean, that guy's had issues the last few years, but, I mean, whatever. I think you're right, I mean, the Brian. Thing for, the thing for Argentina is, like, they're getting a lot out of Lo Celso. He's been very good for Argentina. He had a very good Copa. He's playing well. Like, they understand what he's good at and how to use him and how to fit him into a team with Di Maria and Messi and whoever, you know, in a way that you might say like, okay, well you want to see a guy getting settled at Spurs. So he'll be good for the national team. You don't have that problem with him. They don't need anything out of him at Spurs. If anything, they're probably happy for him to get a lot of rest over the course of the season. So he can come in and do a good job when he gets called up. Um, You know, I think, I think that's, it's just the interests are not aligned. I just so, and I understand. Normally, this would only be a matter of like making sure he's not overworked and COVID sucks and is super annoying. But, ugh, I'm so tired of this international break shit. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just completely disrupted his ability to like be a player on this team for the last. Well, it's. I mean, two it's months. disrupted like, the whole team because we've got so many important South Americans, and it's. It's like, I don't think Nuno's, like, the answer at Spurs, and I think it was probably going to end the same way no matter what. I mean, it hasn't ended yet, but, you know, like, I think we were always going to have issues under Nuno, but, like, certainly his inability to, like, get the team in, get them settled, and play, like, just have access to the players he wants to have access to. Maybe we would have tried Lo Celso at the 10, like, a month ago if he was here. I mean, 
Romero would probably not have missed the North London Derby if he'd been able to play more regularly, but it's frustrating. It's just, you know, it, it, because we don't enjoy international football and maybe that's because we're Americans and our team is garbage, but like, I find it frustrating that just the way that we have to accept FIFA's structuring of international breaks during the club season. Like the September one always pisses me off because it happens right after the transfer window and you just got your shiny new toys and then you don't get to see them because invariably, you know, there's two weeks of that happen with the international break. And, you know, you're trying to build some momentum after that. And then it keeps getting broken up by windows at the beginning of October and the beginning of November. And it's just, it's all very stupid. And I don't understand why it has to happen during the season. I don't understand why there's not a mid-season break where we play some internationals or, you know, we end the season a month early and we play some internet. Like, I don't understand why we have to keep going like three weeks of, you know, league and cup matches and then two weeks of international football. And then three weeks, it's just very stupid. It, it, I hate it. Especially now when you have COVID problems and quarantine rules and shit like that. That's like, it's not just the international break where they're gone and then they come back. It's like they're gone and then they miss the next game because they're quarantining. And, you know, I know they shortened that window, but they're still going to miss the next game. Like, that's, we know that. God, it's just stupid. It's so stupid. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Um, we, we, we'll, we'll talk about Nuno's contract next week because we need something to talk about. <clears throat> but, and I'm sure we'll find something more interesting to talk about as well. Uh, on that note, it's time to wrap it up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on Twitter.com? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at my Tongue and Dombele fan account at Comrade Uspers. I thought we made jokes at the end of this podcast, Ben. No, we don't. Apparently not. <laughs> Brian, where can people find you on Twitter.com? Uh, you can find me Twitch streaming my uh, Mura football manager save now, all of a sudden, <laughs> I guess, um, on Twitch. And there's probably links on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. And you Brian can, with a Y. You can find me retweeting clips of Brian on Twitch at my Twitter account at Skipjack0079. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, for Twitch and TikTok, apparently, I've, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>